0: consolation that the book of Matthew, as as the other Gospels are, are accurate because they weren't changed. There's, there's not a lot of indication that the books were actually changed, and they existed at a time when somebody could say, nah, Jesus didn't really say that, or, or Jesus wasn't really resurrected. You know, they got that wrong. So these writings existed at a time when people could literally do that because they knew the history, but yet these books, they persisted unchanged. So we can be assured today that when we open up the book of Matthew that we're actually reading an accurate history of what happened. So, of course here, uh, you know, Matthew, uh, he's also known in uh, several uh, places within the Gospels, also as Levi, and how we the reason uh, we kind of believe that uh, Matthew also wrote the book of Matthew, because in other Gospels, Matthew and Levi uh, exist, those names exist in other Gospels, but Matthew, in the book of Matthew, is very, uh, I guess, uh, careful to link Levi, the tax collector, to the name Matthew, the tax collector. So Levi and Matthew. And it's interesting when you look at the meaning of those names. You know, Levi, of course, was, was of the high priestly tribe. And one of the uh, articles that I was uh, reading as I was studying, I thought it was interesting because, uh, you know, parents, when they named their child, they uh, often in the uh, Hebrew world, you know, there there's great significance to the names. And so he's named after this great priestly tribe. So some say that perhaps his parents had high expectations of him. He was named Levi. But of course, you know, the story is here that when he's saved, he's a tax collector. Well, tax collectors as we see in the Gospels, are some of the most despised and hated people in all of the Jewish world. And why was that? Well, those tax collectors were serving essentially the Roman government. And so (laughs) there's a couple reasons that the tax collectors were hated so much. Taxes didn't work like they do now. You know, you, you fill out your uh, 1040 and, you know, schedule C through F, and, and that's not how the tax system worked. These tax collectors were normally young, powerful men. Uh, they were educated because they had to, at the time, there's multiple languages in the world. There's Hebrew that you're going to communicate to the, the locals in, or Aramaic at that time, the Hebrew and Aramaic. Then you're going to have uh, the Greek language, which is the kind of trade language of the world. Everyone speaks that. And then, of course, the Romans uh, were speaking Latin. So to work in this world, this has to be an educated person if you're going to be a tax collector. So after you received all of your education, you decided that you wanted to be wealthy. So once you know you want to be wealthy, and you don't really care how you gain your wealth, you can go and bid to collect the taxes for an area of the Roman Empire. It's worked out, it served the Romans well, because this person would go and they would pay the taxes up front to the Romans, and here, you know, Matthew probably says, I'm going to collect the taxes around Capernaum. So, please turn to the maps in your Bible. <laughs> and just find one that's the map of Israel. Map of Israel, and you're going to probably see two bodies of water, well, at least three bodies of water there. The biggest is the Dead Sea, which is just, you know, south of uh, of Jerusalem there. I guess it would be southeast. And then the Jordan River connects. So follow the Jordan River up from the Dead Sea there, and you're going to see another body of water that says the Sea of Galilee. Okay, And then on the northern shore of Galilee, you're going to find a little town there, kind of on the north northwest uh, side there of Galilee. You're going to find the town of Capernaum. Interestingly enough, you know, uh, Jesus makes the trip from the Sea of uh, Galilee and from Capernaum to uh, Jerusalem and back a few times. This is about a four day walk. So you would think you're looking on that, and on my map it's, I don't know, about two inches, you know, and I'm thinking that, boy, that's a long way to walk, all those two inches. But when you really look at it, it's, you know, it's about 80 miles or so. It's about a four day walk. So Matthew goes to the Roman government. He's an educated young man, decides that he uh, would like to to make some more money, and he pays the taxes for this area of Capernaum. Now this was an interesting place because uh, Capernaum itself was not a very big town. It was only probably about 1,000 to 1,500 people, they believe, um, there's a couple other towns you may see there. Uh, you may see uh, Chorazin. You may see Bethsaida. Uh, those are a couple places that you'll hear Jesus speak about. But Capernaum in particular was on a major trade route. You know, It doesn't look like much there, and it wasn't that big of a city, but it was on a major trade route called the Via Maris that connected Egypt and Africa and Syria to Europe and Asia, so big trade route. So this was probably a pretty profitable place because not only would you be collecting taxes on the locals, but you would get to collect taxes on everybody going down that road as well. So, you know, Matthew or Levi here, he has a pretty good job, doesn't he? And so what they would do, he paid all of the taxes to the Romans he was now allowed under Roman protection to collect whatever he liked. So if he liked Brother Sherm, maybe he'd only charge him 5% on his money, or maybe he'd just charge him what what Brother Sherm's portion was. You know, if he uh didn't like Sister Donna, you know, maybe she's gotta pay 30%. You know, if he didn't like my wife back here or me, you know, maybe maybe I had to pay 70% taxes. It, there, it was very arbitrary. They could just collect whatever they wanted. So can you start to see why the Jews really didn't like these guys? And not only were they enemies because they were feeding this money into, into their enemies' coffers, You know, not only were they impoverishing the people around them because taxes were high, high, high. We think we got high taxes. They had really high taxes. Because what had happened before Jesus comes on the scene? Well, the Roman Empire is expanding at this point in time. They're taking over more and more territory. What do you need if you're going to conquer more territory? A bigger army, right? Well, you've got to pay those people. You know, Jesus told the soldiers, you know what your job is, is to just be happy and content with your wages. So these people had to be paid, and obviously they probably weren't always content with their wages, so they probably had to be paid well, so we need money. Also, Herod the Great, remember that guy? You know, he's the one that uh, was the Herod, the, the uh, king kind of over uh, Israel and, and uh, in that area. Uh, there There's multiple people that the Romans had set up as king. But King Herod the Great, one of the major things that he did and why he was called great, not because he was a great person. Actually, if you learn about him, he's a pretty wicked person. You know, killed a lot of his own family. Decided when uh, he couldn't, when the wise men didn't come back and tell him where Jesus was, he was going to send out the troops to just murder all the children under the age of two. So Herod wasn't great because he was a good guy. Herod was great because he was a great builder, and he expanded, and and he beautified these cities, and he beautified the temple there in Jerusalem in particular. That temple that had really been quite small and, and insignificant, he built that place up to make it just an absolute beauty. In fact, you know, I believe in the book of Matthew, you know, the disciples are sitting with Jesus overlooking the Temple Mount, and they're commenting to Jesus how beautiful that temple is. Well, King Herod the Great did that. Do you think it's free to plate, you know, large portions of a building in gold? Well, no, of course that's not free. That costs somebody money. How am I going to get that money? I'm going to go to Levi, and I'm going to have him take it from Brother Justin and everybody else around him. So King Herod put a large weight of taxes also on the people of Jerusalem. So this is who Levi, or Matthew, is collecting taxes for these people. Not only that, the Jews knew that every dollar that was collected, or denarii, or whatever... I knew that a portion of that was going to Caesar. Now, was Caesar just any old man? No. He considered himself a god. So now, not only is my money being taken from me forcefully, but I'm a Jew that serves the one and only living God, and my money and my wealth and my work is going to pay For a pagan god. And build his pagan temples. Can you start to see why these people hated tax collectors? Why they considered them some of the greatest sinners in the world? And this is who Levi was. You know, does that sound like a a priestly young man to you? You know, and... Uh, Some people have noted that Matthew does not mention, in the book of Matthew it does not mention his father's name, but in other places in the Gospels it's said that Matthew or Levi, he's the son of Alphaeus, but Matthew doesn't uh, mention that, and it's believed, well, maybe he was disowned perhaps at some point in time. I mean, that wouldn't be out of of, uh, the realm of possibility. The other interesting thing is, I believe it's James, is also listed as the son of Alphaeus. So some question, was Matthew and, and James the son of Alphaeus, were they brothers? Eh, I don't know. I mean, we, we don't really know. The interesting thing, I was watching something uh, where they said at one point in time they thought they had dug up the, this ostuary, this bone box, that had the name of Jesus on it. And they said, boy, we finally found Jesus' bones. Whew. But you know what they said is, Jesus was actually a common name back then. And what I didn't know is they said, I'm going to have the numbers a little bit off here, but there was a small portion of names, like I'm talking like 16 to 20-some names in the Jewish World that made up like 80% of the names. Like, everybody was John. Everybody, you know, there was many Jesuses. You know, this was a common name. So to say that that these two men, their father was Alpheus, may not really mean that much. But perhaps it's kind of interesting, you know, when you start to put some of this stuff together and look at it. So here Matthew is, or Levi, the tax collector. Jesus has gathered, you know, of course, many of his disciples already. He's called them out of the fishing uh, boats. Um, but here in, uh, in Matthew chapter 9, he calls Matthew. And he's sitting at his tax booth. And certainly, I talked about this last, uh, a couple Wednesdays ago. Matthew's wealthy, and he has a lot to give up. You know, we we think of that story of the rich young ruler, and Jesus, you know, he he put his finger right on what was holding that young man back, said, give all your wealth to the poor and come follow me. You know, Matthew, likewise, had a lot to lose. Some say of all the disciples, he may have you know, had to give up the the biggest amount of wealth and and fortune in this world but yet in in Matthew chapter 9 I believe it's verse 9 where he's called there there's no indication that Matthew hesitated <laughs> when Jesus came to the tax booth and called him to follow him Matthew followed him and we talked about that a little bit too. It's the the context is interesting as well because you know Jesus has just told everybody that he has the power to forgive sins, and then what does he do? The next thing he does is he goes to the tax booth and he calls Matthew, the biggest sinner that was probably there in that town, according to everybody else. I just I think it's it's just it's beautiful you know, how this call comes about, and Matthew responds. So we talked a little bit about Levi, the meaning of that name, but Matthew actually has kind of an interesting meaning as well. It means a gift of God, gift of God. And some believe that Matthew might be so eager to use the name in, in his gospel because perhaps Jesus had given him this name. Perhaps he started out as as Levi, but Jesus renamed him to Matthew. Now, we don't know that. Um, it could be it was common, I guess, in that time to have two names. He could have been named uh, Levi and Matthew by his parents. But some believe Jesus could have given him this name, and he was proud to put this name uh, in his gospel, and he's and he's not the only one that has Matthew and Levi in the gos in their gospel. I believe Luke uh, does as well. So, you know, here was if anybody needed a change, if anybody needed a gift from God, certainly it was Levi the tax collector or Matthew this gift of God, and then. If you think of it, you know, who better to bring into, uh, in along with the disciples here, is a literate, educated man who can record for us the ministry of Jesus. So the, the setting of, of Matthew's call here and Jesus' ministry, again, is in that area of, of Capernaum and kind of if you were to draw a triangle kind of over the northern part of the Sea of Galilee this is something I found interesting is about you know we think of Jesus traveling all up and down Israel and and uh doing his ministry primarily in Jerusalem and and certainly uh you know, some of his ministry did occur in Jerusalem, but about 50 to 70% of his ministry was actually around that northern portion of the Sea of Galilee. You know, I had never never thought of that, but most of his ministry was to those people, I guess, kind of out in the sticks. They're on the northern Sea of Galilee, but also remember that trade route went Right through Capernaum, it did not go through Jerusalem. It went through Capernaum, so anything that happened in Capernaum would be carried to the rest of the world quickly. You know, so is it not interesting that that's where that his much of his ministry took place? So the next question is, you know, when was Matthew written? If 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 it was written. After the book of Mark, uh, when could it be written? Now, you're going to always hear two different dates essentially given. You're going to hear either an early date of Matthew, or you're going to hear a later date given to Matthew. And I wrote down on the on the slide, it's just, why would I care? Who cares when this was written? You hear these things preached all the time. We preach from the book of Matthew Uh why would I care when it was written? Well, there's some that say it was written at least after 70 AD. Most most will say in the 90s A.D. And then others will say, eh, probably before 70 A.D. Now I'm going to give you a quiz question. I don't know if I should let Brother Gayhart answer, because he probably knows the answer to this. Oh, I didn't realize up here. Okay. What? What was the major event in 70 A.D. that happened? Did you know it's going to be... Oh, he's going to answer if somebody else doesn't answer. The destruction of Jerusalem, right. Right. So, of course, we know that the Jews did not like the Romans. Actually, if you can get that to advance, I've got a little timeline there, the gospel timeline. We can kind of see it. Uh, the Gospel Timeline. Hey, there we go. Okay. I don't know if you can click on the little box down at the bottom, put it in presentation mode. We'll make it a little bit bigger. Uh, so down to, yeah, oh. His brother Stickle, <laughs> I know he. I know he had to work hard on that because uh, that was a lot. That was a very complex uh, process up there. Okay, so here we go. So two different dates. Why? Why in the world should I care? The destruction of Jerusalem happened in seventy A.D. Why do you think most uh, liberal uh, scholars would say? Well, uh, Matthew probably happened later than seventy A.D any guesses? You're allowed to guess, it's okay. They they say that because in I believe it's the 24th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is speaking. And he gives a prediction, you know, the the uh disciples are looking at the temple and they're saying, "Wow, that's that's amazing, you know, it's beautiful. Don't you just love this temple that we've built, Jesus?" And Jesus tells them, you know, in just a few years, not one stone will be standing on the other. So if you are a liberal theologian, I don't care what you say about Jesus, liberal theologians don't like it that Jesus could possibly predict the destruction of Jerusalem. So what I would do is I would say, well, Matthew must be written after that because Matthew knew that the the destruction of Jerusalem had happened, and Jesus couldn't have predicted that, so he just kind of wrote that in. So it's an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. Now here's one that is newer to me, I had to kind of remember it. But in 85 A.D., there was another big event. Some say, nah, not just uh, 70 A.D., but it has to be after 85 A.D. Because there was something that happened that was called the Jewish-Christian schism. Now, a schism is when you've got two groups that essentially cannot agree to the point they're going to break up. They're going to be divorced from one another. They're done with one another. And that happened in about 85 AD because you remember when the Jews are being converted and you remember much of Paul's ministry occurred in synagogues. And so Jewish Christians were worshiping in synagogues up until about 85 AD. But what happened is that there's a few... Uh, actors here. Uh, one of them that gets a lot of uh, the credit, I guess, for this is a Jewish scholar. Um, and I'm sorry if this is being live-streamed if I don't have my Hebrew correct, but I believe it's uh, Yekanen Ben-Zakai. Uh, he was a scholar who was inside Jerusalem as it was being attacked. Now, initially... Vespasian came and attacked Jerusalem in about 68 AD, and then he was called back to Rome because there was a civil war going on, and his son Titus came back and finished the job in 70 AD. But while Vespasian was there, this scholar, this Jewish scholar he decided to uh, try to talk the zealots into into surrendering. It's time to surrender the city. He wanted to save Judaism. He wanted to save the temple. He wanted to save the city. And so the Zealots were a group of Jews that hated the Romans, and there was no way that they were going to surrender to the Romans. Well, uh, this uh, Ben-Zakai, he tried to get them to surrender. They refused And so, what's the best thing you should do? Fake your death. So, the story goes that he faked his death. He had his disciples put him in a coffin, carry his coffin out to, uh, of all places, Vespasian's, the Roman general's tent. He pops up, has his own resurrection out of the coffin, surrenders to Vespasian, and begs Vespasian to allow... His friends, some of these Jewish scholars, to escape from the destruction that was about to come upon Jerusalem. And just to make things a little bit better, he tells Vespasian, You know, soon you are going, he prophesies, soon you're going to become emperor. And surprisingly, Vespasian doesn't kill him. And within a year, he becomes emperor. And not only does he become emperor, but he essentially gives uh, this Yukonim Ben-Zakai and, and his friends uh, the ability to to move to the uh, west side of Israel to a, a town called Yavna, and they reinstitute, they rebuild the Sanhedrin. You remember who the Sanhedrin was? They were the ones that uh, all the, a lot of the Pharisees were members of the Sanhedrin. They uh, tried Jesus, put him on trial. So they rebuilt the Sanhedrin, and they started to reconstitute Judaism uh, as a religion without their sacrifices and without the temple. Because just going by the Old Testament... It's hard to have Judaism without the sacrifices in the temple, but now they have no temple. It's been utterly destroyed. But there's a little problem. In the Jewish synagogue, there's this group of people who say that the Messiah has come, and that's not going to be a very unifying force within your synagogue. It's not going to be good to have people who are you know purporting and are following this new Jewish law and people who now are following Jesus Christ the Messiah so several of these people uh and it's it's not I don't believe it's uh this Ben Zekai I believe it's others in 85 AD they come up with uh they add essentially a weekday prayer that was said uh, every weekday, I believe several times a day, that essentially causes the people within the synagogue to, if you're a Christian, to pronounce a curse on yourself. And essentially it, it had the effect that, that they hoped that it would have. In about 85 AD, it drove the Christians out of the synagogues, it separated the synagogue. In the Christian Church, and this is this is an uh, example of what they believe this this uh, prayer said. It was later changed as the Church became more powerful. Uh, they were pressured uh, to change it, but they believe uh, that it said something like this: "You know, for the apostates, let there be no hope, and let the arrogant government be speedily uprooted in our days." Let the Nazarene, which they believe is, is a uh, version of Nazarenes, and the Minam, which are heretics, be destroyed in a moment, and let them be blotted out of the book of life, and not be inscribed together with the righteous. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who humblest the arrogant. So essentially they were pronouncing, a, having to pronounce a curse against themselves. So that's why some say, well, no, uh, there wasn't... Jesus couldn't have predicted the destruction of Jerusalem, so it had to be after 70 A.D. And then others say, well, no, Matthew had to be written after 85 A.D. because uh, that's when the Jews and the Christians really started to hate each other. And Matthew has some hard sayings. He's probably, the book of Matthew is the most critical of Judaism, although it's written really from a Jewish perspective, but of the Gospels uh, you know, Jesus is pronouncing, of course, the woes on the Pharisees, and it's very critical of Judaism. So they say, well, it's so critical of Judaism, it had to have happened after that date. So really, you know, the, the attack there is on the existence and the importance of Christ. You know, these people, they needed time. Essentially what they're saying is these people needed time to develop a myth around Christ you know that would cause them to behave badly in the synagogue it certainly couldn't have happened that early but you'll find that you know most conservative scholars and and prior to probably the you know 171800s most believed that Matthew was written at a much earlier date probably in the early uh 60s to certainly before 70 AD so the reasons for that is you know They believe Mark was written fairly early, in the the 60s. So that gave time for Matthew then to follow with his gospel before the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, Also, there's there's things that uh, Matthew doesn't try to clean up. Jesus tells that same prophecy in Mark, but Matthew doesn't try to clean the prophecy up to make it fit the the, uh, destruction of the temple. In fact, he makes it even... I guess, more confusing in a way. Actually, if you want to click a couple slides to Gospel Matthew early date. Next one, I think. Okay, there we go. So, you know, Matthew doesn't try to clean up these prophecies, and then uh, he makes many observations and applications using temple motifs, you know, pictures of the temple. So if the temple's been destroyed when Matthew's written, you certainly wouldn't think that he would use temple pictures of the temple to, to describe things uh, in, in the Christian's life here. So he uses many examples. Uh, for example, you know, Matthew 5:24, "If you've offended your brother, leave your gift on the altar." You know, Matthew 17. Verses 24 through 27, you know, he made a big deal of Jesus paying that temple tax. Oh, he wouldn't have worried about Jesus probably paying the temple tax if there's no temple. Also, there's references to the Sadducees, which they quickly died out after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And then also, there's uh, early Christian works. Uh, such as the Didache which is the teaching of the 12 apostles that was written fairly early you know probably in the 90s AD and it cited the book of Matthew so then you can go to the next next slide there so who who was Matthew written to well you know it has more old testament references than any of the other gospels um, it shows Jesus to be the fulfillment of the prophecy to Abraham and David. It highlights, you know, as much as Matthew harps on the Jews, he also highlights Jesus' special ministry to the Jews and to Israel, which is indicating, you know, that this writer, he's trying to reach out to the Jews. So, at the destruction of, um, of Jerusalem, many of the Christians and Jewish Christians, they fled to the north. Even before the destruction of Jerusalem, they had fled to the north. So that's where they, they feel that perhaps Matthew was along with them and he was writing to these uh, Jewish uh, people that had fled to the north in, around Syrian Antioch. and that's the uh, map's a little bit small there in the corner, but that's where they believe that you know, he was possibly writing from because the book of Matthew was preserved best. And it, it's early estate, you know, really in that area. And then let's go ahead and go to the next one. So I'll finish this up real quick. So why was the book of Matthew written? You know, some people say, well, it's, you know, simply gospel or a biography. Uh, some call it a midrash, which was used to, the uh, Jews would use these essentially commentaries Uh, to describe and explain the uh, Jewish texts. However, Matthew contains a lot of historical content, and that wouldn't normally be uh, taken into consideration because they were describing the text. They weren't describing what was going on around. Um, Some believe, you know, Matthew was written to correct heresies in the church. Perhaps it was written to uh encourage the church to go forth out into the world and to become missionaries you know missionary propaganda they say or you know as a polemic as a, an attack against the rabbis and the Jews um maybe it was just a little bit of all of those things you know and each one of these items you know there're scholars that they 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 focus on one of those items for the book of Matthew for the reason why it was written But more interesting than that is, if you go to the next slide here, Keywords and Themes. So what we're going to find when we look at the book of Matthew as a whole, he speaks a lot about the kingdom of God. You're going to see that theme over and over and over again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And it's quite interesting because here's a man that probably never thought that he would ever be in the kingdom of God. You know, certainly... As a tax collector, he would have never been allowed, probably, in the synagogue. We know that because the Jews, what what were they saying? What were they saying when Jesus came here? You're eating with these tax collectors and sinners? Boy, if they couldn't even eat with them, I'm sure they didn't worship with them. So don't you think, you know, Matthew... He's excited about the kingdom of God. In fact, I think, you know, one of the things I feel like as I study this more that we are not is excited about the kingdom of God. And this, I can imagine during the time of persecution that Math, the book of Matthew was going out into the hands of these people who were terribly persecuted, that hearing about the kingdom of God when they lived in a world of darkness, and terror was probably something quite uplifting to them. And it should be to us, too. You know, we often lose our sight that we are not just uh, citizens of the kingdom of America. You know, we are citizens if we are saved and we are following Jesus Christ, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God would be nothing if there wasn't a son of God, because it's the son of God that's necessary to bring the kingdom of God to the people. So wouldn't you know it that Matthew here, he highlights frequently that Jesus is the son of God. And he, he heightens, actually, you know, Mark, a lot of, a lot of uh, if you remember Brother Dakdok, when he was talking, he said the Muslims like the book of Mark because they feel that the, the Christology, the, uh, the uh, worship of Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, is not uh, as put forward in the book of Mark. But the book of Matthew takes the deity and the person of Jesus Christ and expands it and colors it in even more. So he's introducing us to the Son of God, who is also the King of kings and the king of this new kingdom of God. Also, the word disciple and the verb to disciple shows up more in the book of Matthew than anywhere else in the Gospels. Although often, you know, it's mentioned in a means or a way that uh, indicates humility, he talks about brothers or little ones, instead of just talking, you know, about themselves in, in high terms. The church is also only mentioned in the book of Matthew as far as in the Gospel. And then go to the next slide there, eschatology. So there's two kind of uh, big words um, that I've learned over the years. One is soteriology, and the other one's eschatology. And if you've uh, been in a Baptist church, you've probably heard a lot about eschatology. What do those two words mean? Well, soteriology is what we believe, just simply what we believe uh, is required to be saved. And, you know, uh, much of us, whether we're Church of God, whether we're uh, Baptist, whether we're uh, Methodist, you know, most Christian churches share a very similar soteriology. That's, that's something that we have in common. Eschatology is a little bit different. That's what we believe about the end times. And, of course, you know, uh, a, lot in the ba- a lot of people in the Baptist church are very much into a, pre- a premillennial viewpoint. Um, it's you know preached uh, quite frequently, and so you, you'll hear a lot about eschatology. But the book of Matthew talks about the end times uh, quite a bit. You know he, he references the end times, and I like this passage. It was from one of the books that I was studying, and it says, Passages about the impending judgment are particularly strong in Matthew you know, he adds a whole chapter in addition to Mark dealing with the reality of a scatological judgment. So essentially saying, a last day is coming. An end time judgment is coming. And he does this, he adds the parable of the ten virgins that Jesus told. He talks in again in Matthew the twenty-fifth chapter there about the judgment that's to come. And these are unique to Matthew. It says the evangelist's eschatology is vitally important to his ecclesiology, so what he believes about the church and how it's put together, how it works, Christology, you know, who Jesus Christ is, and a view of the law. And I liked this last sentence there. It says, As is true throughout the New Testament, the primary purpose of the eschatological teaching is not so much to provide information concerning the future as to motivate the church to conduct that is appropriate in light of imminent judgment. Let me just say that again. Essentially, the reason Matthew puts this in there is not to just tell us about things that will happen, but it's supposed to be a motivating force to push us through the kingdom of God, acting as children of God. We are to remember that there is an end-time judgment coming, and it will drive us to appropriate conduct in the kingdom of God. You know, and that's something we miss out on as well. If we're in the kingdom of God, well, how should the inhabitants of the kingdom of God look? How, could, how should they act who should they follow? And then, of course, you know we've already mentioned he's very critical of that Pharisaical Judaism, that <clears throat> that uh, religion of works. Very critical. I, I liked that thing that actually Brother Dak Doc I think uh, begged Brother Tony to show, and I loved what Harry Ironsides told that man. Uh, out there in California, oh, there's many religions. And he said, really, son, I only know of two. You know, there's those who are trying to save themselves, and there's one that says you need a Savior. And that's really, that's, that's what we will see in the book of Matthew. We're going to see a Savior has come. We're going to see that the kingdom of God has come. We're going to see that even if we are sinners, great sinners, like Levi the tax collector or Matthew the tax collector, that even us, sinners, through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can come into the kingdom of God. So uh, just quickly, the next slide there, the basic structure. This is one that's proposed. Some people like it, some people don't like it, but essentially... Uh, There's, the book of Matthew is said to have, it contains the most comprehensive collection of Jesus' instructional ministry, of Jesus' instructions to us from any of the other uh, Gospels or any of the other books of the Bible, and there's essentially, uh, you've got kind of the prologue, the climax, you know, on either ends of this kind of bookends, and then in the middle, You've got, there will be a narrative, and then Jesus will teach. It's also, you'll hear the discourses of Jesus. So a narrative, Jesus will teach. Narrative, Jesus will teach. Narrative, Jesus will teach. And he does that five times. You know, kind of like the five books of the Old Testament, right? And one of the things that uh, it's believed that Matthew, as a Jew, is trying to show is that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses had five books of the Torah, Jesus has five teachings here in the book of Matthew. And actually, if you go through uh, and do all the comparisons, we won't do that tonight. uh, You'll see a lot, there's a lot of comparisons between Jesus and Moses. Um, Next slide there. Last one. So, this just kind of is a summary of the book of Matthew. So, of course, the book of Matthew, its author, you know, that hated tax collector. An apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, the date, uh, again, that's, I took this off of somebody else. You can see where, you know, maybe their theology is a little bit by where they date it, a late date. I would say probably earlier. Um, The picture of Jesus, what picture, who, how should we see Jesus in the book of Matthew? The king of the Jews. And then, uh, It's focusing on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, It's believed, you know, that Matthew was primarily trying to convince Jews at this point in time. That makes sense if he is a Jew. And if it's written early on, much of the early church was Jewish. So he's convincing the Jews, but it has so much meaning to us as Gentile believers and followers of Christ. And then the purpose to prove that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So, hopefully I didn't bore you too much. Hopefully you walk away with this with a couple things new about the book of Matthew that you uh, maybe didn't know before. Uh, Maybe now uh, somebody ever uh, wants to talk about when Matthew was written and they, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was after the destruction of the temple and after 85 AD, you'll kind of understand, you know, where they may be coming from, why they say those things. But more importantly, as we get into the study of the book of Matthew, we're going to see Jesus, the king of kings, the king of the Jews, the king of this wonderful kingdom of God, that you and I can belong to. So, all right. Well, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I just do thank you tonight, Lord, for your uh, mercies and goodness to us. I'm thankful that you brought us all here safely, and Lord, we're excited to get into the study of the book of Matthew. We're thankful that you have uh, called this servant so many years ago, Lord, to uh, document Uh, the life of Jesus Christ, and I pray that as we study this that you would help us to more clearly uh, see Christ in our everyday lives. Father, I pray that those of us that are saved would come to know him in a greater and closer relationship, Father, that we would draw closer to him, and Father, I pray for those who do not know king of kings at this point lord i pray that you'd be speaking to their hearts that you would just use your word and uh, that you'd use your people father to uh, evangelize the world father we're thankful for that call that uh, matthew documented that jesus has given us to go out unto all the world and to make disciples and father we just pray that you would help us to do that even this evening as we go home to our own families father And Lord, we just pray that you would bring us all back safely at the appointed time. We ask these things in Jesus' name.